This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be here with you again to talk about things that, as I always say, are important to our lives. Lessons that we can derive from the Torah. Lessons that we take from the Torah. Lessons that give us insight into who and what we are, what our purpose upon this earth is all about what God intended with the creation that he put into being, and how Torah is the blueprint to it all, to all of creation, to give man guidance. And each and every single episode in the Torah, each and every single word in the Torah, has volumes to teach us, certainly those stories that are told to us in greater detail. When we begin to examine them, we begin to understand them, we are overwhelmed by the fact that the insights they gave us or give us, are so true to life in each and every single sense of the word. And the Parsha this week is Vayeshev, and Vayeshev tells a compelling but troubling story, as we'll soon talk. It's Erev Shabbos, the day before Shabbos, and of course, what a Shabbos it is. It's Shabbos Mavorkom, we're blessing the new month, the new month which comes next week, the new month of uh, the Tevet, which comes at, well, next Shabbos, actually. And, of course, Sunday night, this is the Shabbos right before the festival of Hanukkah. The first lamp is kindled on Sunday night. What an exciting time. Hanukkah, of course, is something which we all look forward to the entire year. It is joyous. It's wonderful. We sit around. We eat the latkes. We eat donuts. We eat all sorts of wonderful things. We play the dreidel. We interact with children, grandchildren. We interact with each other. It's a special, wonderful time, and we celebrate the great miracle. We celebrate something which happened to the Jewish people and happens to the Jewish people time and again, the recognition, the realization that despite the best, the very best efforts of our enemies, we strive and we thrive and we survive. We carry on with greatness, with dignity, with pride, with passion with everything that makes us the special people that we are. And as we approach Hanukkah, these feelings come to the fore. These feelings are very much with us all the time, but we think about it during the festival of Hanukkah, perhaps at this time at the end of the show. We'll talk about that some more. But first of all, the Parsha, and perhaps at the end to talk about how the Parsha relates to Hanukkah as well. As I said before, the Parsha is Vayeshev. What does Vayeshev mean? And he sat. Who sat? Jacob sat. Jacob had come back from a long and difficult journey, a journey that took him to, well, his uncle's home. And his uncle was a fraudster, a trickster, a gangster. And he tried to rob him, rob him out of his wives, rob him out of his fortune. And nonetheless, he survived. And then, of course, that monumental meeting encounter with his brother, Esau, who had previously vowed to kill Yaakov. And that turned out to be a great success as well. They both agreed to part company. Each went their own way. And all violence was avoided, averted. All violence didn't happen. And we come to this week's Parsha. It says, Vayeshev and Yaakov, well, he settled down. He settled down in Hebron, Hebron, which is the city of the patriarchs, where Abraham was, where Isaac was. In fact, that's where the patriarchs and the matriarchs, except for Rachel, are buried in the great tomb, in the great Marat HaMachpelah, in the tomb of Machpelah in the city of Hebron. And he finally rests. His family is around him. He's surrounded by all sorts of wonderful things. And Rashi tells us something quite interesting. It says that Yaakov asked God that he wanted to now sit in tranquility, in peace, so that he continue, he can continue his life 
by enjoying the well, the well-earned and well-deserved nachas that he has, seeing his incredible family around him, a family that ultimately will become the heads of the tribes of the Jewish people. And Chazal, our sages, tell us that this may have been a bit of a mistake on the part of Jacob, because it says that tzaddikim, the righteous people, have no business asking for tranquility in this world. Their tranquility will come in the ultimate world. Here they have to deal with the issues of leading the world, sometimes in difficult and challenging ways. And this is why Chazal says, Yaakov wanted to sit back and live from here on in a tranquil life. Suddenly, the terrible story of Jacob and his brethren develop, and instead of being a quiet and tranquil life, it became a painful, grieving, difficult life for Yaakov. It's a story that we know so well, the rivalry between the brothers, Jacob and his brothers, uh, as Joseph and his brothers. Um, and as we examine the details of the story, there are so many puzzling elements to it. But before we get into that story, the question is, Yaakov, is a righteous man, a great man. Not only is he a great man, as I explained last week at length and the week before, he is the Bechir, he is the chosen of the patriarchs. We had giants like Abraham and Isaac, but Jacob is the Bechir, he is the chosen one. How is it that he could have possibly made a mistake that he wanted to sit back and enjoy the rest of his life quietly when in fact this is not the correct way. This is not what the Almighty wants. The Almighty wants the tzaddik and the righteous people to be involved in the activities of the world. What does it mean that he wanted shalva, he wanted peace and tranquility so that he could get on with his life in a quieter manner? Obviously, Yaakov was going to do the right thing regardless, and therefore how is it possible that he could have made that mistaken thinking that he could ask God, for peace and quiet, for tranquility, when in fact this is not the way it should be. And therefore we have to come to the conclusion that what Yaakov is asking for is not simple tranquility. I'm going to retire and sit back in my deck chair and enjoy the, well, the sunrise and the sunset and the quiet daily living. That was not what Yaakov wanted. Yaakov wasn't looking for that type of quiet life. Yaakov is a righteous man. Yaakov is a warrior in the spiritual sense of the word. Yaakov is an individual who understands that until such time the world is in a state of perfection, each and every one of us have tremendous levels of activity, responsibility that we have to fulfill. And therefore, Yanka full knows that he has to do these things as well. What Yaakov wants is a different type of of tranquility, a tranquility that will bring peace to the world in a different sort of way. What Yaakov is asking for is not that he personally should sit back and enjoy the fruit of his labors, his children, his wealth, his incredible achievements in this world. What Yaakov is asking for is a different type of tranquility. And therefore, when we examine the tranquility that Yaakov asked for and we understand it, then we can take a look at the terrible story of Joseph and his brethren, the terrible rivalry, which results in all sorts of pain and anguish. But that's only a superficial way we look at the story. There's a depth. There is greatness in that story. We have to understand it from that point of view as well. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. 
We're talking about the concept of the shalva, the tranquility that Yaakov is looking for. We know that he is a great man, and therefore, as a tzaddik, as the chosen of the patriarchs, as the extraordinary individual that he was, we know fully that he did not want a simple relaxation to sit back and enjoy the fruit of his labors. What he wanted was something entirely different, something which would affect the entire world, all of God's creation, in the most positive and powerful manner. Because just... Now, we read the story of the encounter between Yaakov and Esau. And although no violence ensued, nonetheless, they each went their own ways. Yaakov, of course, remaining loyal to that which he stands for, Torah, the mitzvot of Torah, commitment to God. And Esau went back to his world, a world of power, a world of brutality, a world of violence, even though... They parted. Nonetheless, each one still retained his particular attitude and philosophy in life. And Yaakov and Esau, of course, represent the two opposing forces in this world, the forces of good, the forces of evil, and how each one wants to take occupation, possession of the entire creation. Each one feels that theirs is the right way. And Yaakov was extremely disturbed that Esau will continue with his negative behavior. Esau, as the one who represents that which is evil in the world, that which is wrong in the world, contrary to the will of God, Esau will continue with his bad behavior. And this is why Jacob is asking God for shalvo. Shalva is a deep and powerful tranquility. There's the word shalom, which means peace, and the word shalva. Shalva is a deeper and greater type of peace. What's the peace of shalom? The peace of shalom is that you have two enemies, and they agree to sit on either side of the border. They will not have conflict, but they remain opposing forces. They remain enemies. And then there is a shalva where the positive, the good, overwhelms that which is negative and evil and transforms it into something which is good as well. There is only good. It is a permanent and real peace. It's no longer simply opposing forces or enemies who agree not to exercise any violence against each other. But in fact, the negativity is entirely removed to an absolute type of peace. And this is what distresses Yaakov. Yaakov is deeply distressed. How is it ever going to be that Esau will be overwhelmed in a positive way to transform the incredible energy that he possesses into something which is good, something which is constructive, and something which fulfills the will of God in the ultimate creation? Jacob is deeply distressed what he saw. And his brother Asa was a very powerful man, and a very powerful man in every sense of the word, a very powerful man, not only physically, materially, he had huge armies, he was strong, he was rich, but certainly in spiritual dimensions as well. There is a negative dimension within spiritual energy that Asa possessed, and Yaakov thinks to himself, how is this world ever going to change? How is this world ever going to come to a state of true peace? Not that I'm on one side and Esau is on the other side and we agree with a handshake not to cross the border so that we don't have to in any way hurt each other, but in truth to transform the negativity, that negative destructive energy of Esau into something which is positive and powerful and good. And this is what distresses him and this is why he's asking God for Shalvo. He wants a different type of peace. And what was the response tell us 
our sages tell us? What was the response to that request? The whole story of Joseph and his brother, brothers and the terrible rivalry that took place between them. And this, in fact, gives us a deep insight and powerful hint as to what is going to happen because immediately after we speak about that Yaakov, well, he sat in the place called Hebron and our sages tell us that he asked for the Shalva, he asked for this, this deeper and more powerful concept of peace. What's the next passage? It says, Ela told us Yaakov, these are the children, the offspring of Yaakov. And who does it mention right away? Yosef, who was 17 years at the time. Because this is the answer to Yaakov. What God is saying to Yaakov is that Yosef, even though he's much younger than his other brothers, and perhaps in certain ways, to a certain degree, immature in relationship to them. Nonetheless, he is the one who will ultimately deal with Esau in a very decisive manner. He will destroy the negativity and to transform that energy into something which is good. Yosef has the capacity. Yosef has the power. Yosef has the ability to do that where the others don't. And of course, on the one hand, Yaakov is elated at the fact that he has a son who will deal decisively, ultimately, with Esau. But he's also very, very concerned that that road is going to be a challenging road. It's going to be a difficult road because his other sons, Joseph's brothers, will not be happy with that realization of the fact that Yosef will become the leader. Yosef will be the one who Yaakov chooses to, in a sense, become that offspring who will deal with the negativity and change the world for good. And what is it about Yosef that Yaakov is told by God he has the ability to do what the others don't? Yaakov has the ability, Yosef has the ability to descend into the most negative of situations and to survive with absolute authenticity and integrity. He will go into the darkness of Egypt. He will work under the rule of a ruthless man like Potiphar, an immoral violent man. He will go into jail, into the dungeons of Egypt. He will ultimately serve Pharaoh and become the second in command to the most powerful nation on earth. In fact, he is the one who administers the most powerful nation on earth, ultimately, Yosef, as we read. Because he has the ability of going through those incredible challenging situations materially, physically, spiritually, and to retain his absolute integrity as a son of Jacob, loyal to God, loyal to the values of morality, of ethics, to the mitzvot of the Torah. He is the one, not sta- notwithstanding where he is, he retains his incredible integrity to his Yiddishkeit, to God being a child of Jacob. The others can't. The others are shepherds. The others live away from encountering the physical world too intensely or too directly. Yes, they live in the physical world, but they don't encounter it in a challenging sort of way. They are deserts taking care of their flocks and their... They are shepherds taking care of their flocks and their herds in the fields away from the cities. And Yaakov understands that. And this is why Yaakov makes a special coat for Yosef because he knows Yosef has to have this added protection of this miraculous coat that Yaakov is going to give him. Yaakov is going to give him a coat in recognition of the fact that Yosef 
is the individual who will ultimately change the world, who will go into the darkest of dark and bring light, whether it's the homes of Potiphar and Potifera, whether it's the dungeons of Egypt or whether it's the royal palace of Pharaoh. He is the one who will bring change while retaining absolute integrity, his identity as a son of Jacob in the fullest sense of the word. But as mentioned before, the brothers don't accept this. The brothers don't understand this. They cannot understand. You know, Reuven is the firstborn. Judah is a lion. Each and every one of the other sons are giants in their own right, and they think to themselves, how is it possible that Yosef, the youngest, is the one who will lead ultimately with such incredible strength that he is the one who will overwhelm Esau ultimately and transform that negative energy into something positive. And not only that, but Yosef shares his vision. Yosef has dreams, whether he's dreaming about the sheaves of wheat that bow down to his, representing his brothers and his mother, or the stars bowing down to him as the ultimate light in the heavenly realms this annoys the brothers further. But Yosef feels compelled to share these dreams with his brothers because he wants them to understand what, in fact, his calling in this world is all about. Yaakov is there. He's watching. He is deeply pained by the rivalry between the brothers, but he knows that Yosef ultimately will emerge. He doesn't realize what kind of road it will be. Yaakov doesn't know exactly what will happen, that Yosef will be sold by the brothers and ultimately end up in the worst possible place, Egypt, which, although the most powerful country, was the most immoral country at the time as well. Yaakov knows that Yosef is the one, and therefore when he hears about the dreams, while he is not happy that his other sons aren't happy, nonetheless it says that Yaakov, well, took serious note of this and watched for it and waited for it to happen. And this is what Yosef is all about. And this is the answer to Yaakov. Yaakov wants peace and tranquility. Yaakov wants a situation where the world can come to a true recognition of what is good and what is real and what is positive. And every negative type of dimension will be turned toward that good. Yaakov wants that. And the answer is Yosef. Joseph is going to take a different type of journey. Joseph is going to go from place to place. He will argue. He will fight. But he will survive and survive with a tremendous sense of dignity. And therefore, Jacob realizes that what he asked for is very powerful. But the answer is equally powerful, even though the answer may come only after a certain period of time and with it bring grief and pain initially to Yaakov and his life. And this is why Yaakov tells Yosef, go find out where your brothers are. How could Yaakov possibly send Joseph into a situation where it's dangerous. His brothers are angry. His brothers don't like him. His brothers, in fact, feel that he is a heretic. He is an individual who doesn't have a place in this world. How could Yaakov possibly put his son Yosef at such risk and send him to find the brothers? And the answer is that Yaakov understands that ultimately Joseph is going to have to deal with his brothers. 
and his brothers will have to come to the realization, to the understanding that Joseph is the one who has the capacity of dealing with this physical world, with the ugliness, with the darkness, with the violence, with the immorality of this physical world, and to transform it into something which is positive and good. He has to deal with his brothers. And even though, as mentioned before, it's a journey which will be a painful journey, a journey that will cause years of grief and loss to Yaakov, Yaakov knows that in order for this shalva to take place, in order for it to come about, they have to go through this incredibly challenging and difficult journey in order to come to that realization. And this is why, in fact, the Torah tells us that ultimately when Yaakov goes down to see his son in Egypt, he spent the 17 best years of his life, the last years, the best years of his life in the situation where he is with his son Yosef in the land of Egypt. Because the shalva will come even though it comes sometimes at great cost and at great difficulty as well. And this is what this Parsha is all about. The Parsha is about Vayesha. Vayesha means to settle down, to have true tranquility. And even though the Parsha speaks about upheaval, the rivalry between Joseph and his brothers is incredibly deep and painful, each one accusing the other of terrible things. But the fact remains, Joseph is persistent because he feels that ultimately he has to bring about this recognition and realization in the lives, the hearts, the minds of his brothers so that they too can ultimately understand what the purpose of Joseph purpose of Joseph in this world is all about and how he fulfills the dream, the ambition of Yaakov bringing about true tranquility into this world. It's a Parsha which is difficult to understand from so many points of view. It's a Parsha which tells us a story that, you know, one can only cry at certain points of that story. But like all stories, we have to realize you can't stop in the middle. A story has a beginning, a story has an end, and a story has an end that is glorious and great. A story that has an end which, despite the fact that it came at great cost, brings about a tremendous sense of reconciliation and brotherhood between all of them, and they begin to see what, in fact, the greatness of Joseph is all about and what their father saw so many years before. What they initially saw in their father was that he favored this younger son, and this is what angered them. They ultimately came to the realization that, in fact, this was absolutely the way that it should be. This is the story of Joseph and his brothers, a story that, well, has all sorts of elements to it. And as I said before, at certain moments we stand by and we cry. But as we come to the end of the story, we begin to realize here is a miracle, a miracle in the making, a miracle that takes time to develop, but one that brings about goodness, joy, and true tranquility. More on that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about how, in fact, this incredible story that contains so many moments of difficulty and challenge and ultimately turns out to be a miraculous victory for Jacob, for Joseph, for his brothers, for the entire Jewish people, a realization that one can and should 
get involved in the physical dimensions of the world and yet retain tremendous integrity and authenticity about one's identity. And this is the story of Joseph. And even though it develops throughout the entire Parsha into the next Parsha with the dreams of Pharaoh, nonetheless, we know that the ending is a glorious ending. The ending is a great ending, an ending of joy, an ending of purpose, and it brings Shalva to the life. It brings true tranquility to the price to the life of Yaakov. We go on to the story of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, of course, on Sunday night. We light the first candle. And as you heard me say so many times, we ought only watch the candle. We sit there and we look at that little flickering flame. But we also have to hear the story of Hanukkah. Our eyes see the light. Our ears should hear the story. And what a story it is. A handful of people against the most mighty nation of the world at the time. The temple is completely desecrated by idolatry and by all sorts of strange and unholy, profane things. The Jewish people are in a state of spiritual slavery. The Jewish identity, the Jewish pride has been broken. And the Jewish people are in a state of incredible despair. Matisyahu and his sons get up and they say, enough is enough. We have to change this. We have to bring about some sort of different result. We cannot allow this to continue. It is a world that is not consistent with the will of God. It is a world that is contrary to the will of God. And therefore they stand up and they lead that mighty, miraculous revolution that in fact concludes with the incredible miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of the oil, the miracle of victory, the miracle of joy, the story of Hanukkah as we know and we repeat each and every single year, each and every single night of Hanukkah. But the story is not so simple. The story of Hanukkah is not a simple story of a handful against many of the righteous, against the unjust, the well, the holy against the profane. When we begin to examine the historical context of what in fact took place at the time, there's a very strange dimension to it. It's not as if the Jewish people weren't allowed to live quietly in their own areas. In fact, the Syrian Greeks at the time, the Yavanim, told them, you want to study Torah, you can study Torah as long as you understand that it's not the word of God. Well, it's a nice philosophy, a nice history book, a nice story book, whatever it is, but it's not a word from God. There's no divinity in Torah. You can study it as you would study any other philosophy. You want to fulfill, fulfill certain mitzvot by all means, but not because they are commandments of God, but because they are interesting traditions that you people have. In other words, they said you can live as Jews as long as you rip out the spiritual core, the spiritual life of who you are. Yes, you can go through the charade of living like Jews, but as long as you don't accept that there is a God who controls this, this is what you can't do. This is what the Yavanim tried to impress upon the Jews, and to a huge degree they were extremely successful because many Jews felt this was the new way. Yes, we have certain elements of Jewish identity, but basically we are the same as everyone else. We don't have any faith in one invisible God. We don't accept his divine commandments, his binding upon us, etc., etc., etc. And therefore, the battle 
of Matisyahu and his sons were not only against the evil empire that ruled that world at the time, but somehow it had to carry a message of education and direction to the majority of Jews who had fallen into the trap of giving up their authentic identity, the integrity of being Jews, faith in God, fulfilling commandments, because they are the commandments of God. And this is what happened at the time. And the miracle, of course, was that all this change, what does Hanukkah mean? Renewal, newness, change, something that came about that wasn't there before. A new sense of pride, a new sense of loyalty, a new sense of faith, a new sense of dedication to God's commandments. There was a huge revival of authentic Yiddishkeit. What happened was that a wave of spirituality lifted the Jews. And not only did they have victory in battle. Not only were they able to remove any negative element from the temple, the idols, and everything else, but they found that one jar of oil that symbolized purity and holiness and light and goodness and godliness. And this is what revived the Jewish people at the time. The great miracle that we celebrate of Hanukkah is not only Victory against the terrible physical enemy, but victory against the spiritual enemy who tried to remove from us any vestige of divine spirituality in our Jewish lives. And this is something that we have to look out for in the world that we live in today because there are so many elements out there. We don't mind if we behave a little bit like Jews, but don't become too passionate about it. Don't say that this is the way that you serve God. Don't say that this is where the spiritual wisdom comes from, where the true wisdom comes from. This is where morality and decency comes from. That's not from there, they argue and say. And so many Jews fall into that trap. And this is what Hanukkah is all about. Hanukkah is like Joseph. Hanukkah is a time that authenticity, integrity, purity comes to the fore. Hanukkah is a time that we encounter the most difficult of situations, the most difficult of challenges, and yet we retain that sense of identity, who and what we are, with incredible pride, with incredible strength. This is the story of Joseph. This is the story of Hanukkah. And this should be the story of each and every one of us, the ability to deal with life. Yes, we are living in a physical world with a great many challenges, but we have the ability of retaining authentic integrity as to who and what we are, and we are able to live in this world as authentic Jews in the fullest sense of the word. And this is why when you're in shul tomorrow, Listen carefully to the story, to every detail of the story. Yes, there are many questions and many painful moments, but realize that it comes to a glorious, miraculous finale, a moment where everybody realizes that ultimately Joseph is the one who will transform the evil and negativity of Esau into something which is holy, into something which is good, ultimately like the story of Hanukkah, where Matisyahu and a handful of his sons wage war, a huge rebellion against the powerful army and against the powerful spiritual obstruction. And they are victorious because they do so with a tremendous sense of commitment, devotion, loyalty, and faith. Something that each and every one of us really have to work at to develop to a far greater degree. So when you listen to that story, allow the faith within you to grow, to rejoice, to become passionate, to express themselves in powerful sort of ways. The faith of the Jew that has kept us along the mitzvot, the commandments of God, that has kept us 
all these many centuries. This is what we are. This is who we are. And as we celebrate the Shabbos of Ayesha, the story of Joseph, as we celebrate the Shabbos that comes straight before the festival of Hanukkah, these are the elements that should guide us. These are the elements that have to be part and parcel of our entire life. Good Shabbos and have a joyous Hanukkah.